Welcome to the Raising Successful Kids podcast. This is a podcast where we will discuss and explore how to raise children to be successful in all areas of their life. Irene Santanier is a working mum of an entrepreneurial child and shares a passion with her husband to see children succeed. And now, introducing your host, Irene Santanier. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Raising Successful Kids podcast. I'd like to welcome you to 2019, wherever you are in the world. Um, thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast today. Um, I've got two very interesting people in front of me who have given up some of their time to come and record a podcast today. So I'm not going to introduce them. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and who, what, who they are and what they do. And um, I think you'll be very, very interested in in what you're about to hear something slightly different not not something that I've um, recorded about before um, but it's good to pivot it's good to do something different uh, so enjoy what you're about to hear so I'd like to welcome you both Julian and Raf to the podcast thank you for giving your time up today I'm going to start with Julian uh, so I'd like you just to introduce yourself tell the listeners a little bit about who you are what you do and then we'll move on from there okay I'm Julian Squires. I'm um, director of Southeastern Tennis. Uh, it's a tennis coaching company which runs mainly from Pendon Heath, though we have had other bases and we currently have another base in Sittingbourne. But it's really all about taking tennis to the people, to the public courts, rather than being in, in very exclusive clubs, making tennis more of a, a family game for everybody, very inclusive. And uh, we've produced quite a lot of, of young players who started with us and who've gone on to um, uh, to some just very very good level, and Raf in particular, who is just about to take his level two coaching award, having been the first ever name that I wrote on a register in my first ever squad down here, and his name was Rafferty Wilson. So I thought Rafferty, that sounds like Rafa. That was good because Nadal was just coming through as a player at that time, and then Wilson being the uh, Wilson being the, the maker rackets. I thought, well, you know, if he's as good as his name, then uh, let's see. And uh, from day one, he was he was always very keen, very teachable, very talented and um, he's where he is now and I'm um, really proud of uh, how he's got there so he's one of my greatest success stories Okay, so that's a good lead in to um, introduce Raf to you so if you'd like to just explain who you are Of course, I'm Raf and I'm a level 1 qualified coach looking to get my level 2 done this summer How old are you? So I'm 17 now I started playing tennis just when I was about 4 so yeah, both my older brothers played and quickly it became an instant passion for me, which led to me playing competitively and then doing a bit of assistant coaching, which then led to me wanting to get qualified and do it as a part-time job. And that's where we are now. Okay, so you're fitting all this in between your schoolwork as well? Yeah, so I'm currently in this last year of sixth form at Maystone Grammar School looking to go to university. So it is a bit of a squeeze, but when you enjoy coaching and playing, there's no problem fitting it around schoolwork and things like that. Okay, that's that's fantastic. So for those of you who are listening elsewhere in the world, obviously this is based in Kent, where I am, in southeast of the UK. Um, and, you know, the UK, although we're not a great tennis nation as such, you know, we haven't produced that many stars, as it were, just one or two that we cling on to. Um, I know that it kind of underpins some uh, sort of section of society 
that runs through throughout the country. So um, I've known Julian just on and off because my son used, did a few tennis lessons when he was very small and we just reconnected again recently. So I'm just really interested to hear why you feel that now is the time for you to think big and work big with your business. Well, obviously doing a lot of the coaching itself means that I can't then work on the, the business too much, but I'm now creating a generation of coaches from the players that I've taught as players who are now becoming coaches themselves. I mean, Raf's kind of at the top of the tree, but we've got uh, we've got a very good 15-year-old as well. And uh, even our top 10-year-old, who was a county semi-finalist last year, he's in year six at his primary school and he's helping out the younger children at, at his school as well. So we're kind of filtering our coaching down to the next generation and that's hopefully going to give me a little bit of time to say well I can I can work on this business and try to grow this business and I've also got another chess business which I run which we, we might have to do a separate podcast on sometime for <laughs> um for, for that but uh, now's the time where I can sort of take a little bit of a backseat and uh, on the actual on on the court and because um, I know I've got people who can go, do a great job on it. Have you always been interested in tennis then? Has that been a passion for you that you've thought, okay, I can see this being something that I want to turn into a business? I think so. I think it was my my mum was particularly, and her side of the family were, were tennis players. I, mean, I think my uncle was a, an ex-county player. He sort of taught me to play, and he'd knock around with me in the in the garden. And mum would be watching Wimbledon, um, and I just didn't have any choice. I'd, I'd like to come and watch my children's programs, whatever they were at the time. I won't I won't say because it'll give my age away, but. Um, <laughs> just seeing tennis on TV and I thought well I had to watch it and I got quite interested in it and it was the year that I'll give my age away now anyway um, the year that Virginia Wade won the one Wimbledon single so that's our last our, our last lady champion and then you had all of the, the rivalry between Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe and it wasn't so we almost didn't need an English player and then we had the Tim Henman years where he, he was so nearly there and of course then Recently with Andy Murray, we actually won it and I was privileged to go to the Davis Cup, Cup final myself and, and be a spectator there. So um, it's been a pretty good era for, for British tennis and that I think gives our young players hope that you know we can be world champions and win, win Grand Slams and hopefully it won't be uh, the last time in my lifetime that we, <laughs> that we see this and hopefully when I'm sitting in my retirement, I'm able, I'm able to watch some of my players being on, on TV myself. At what point did you think, actually, this is something that I'm also I'm good at, but I know that there can be a business? Because when you're when you're young, and we're obviously dealing with raising, or I'm dealing with raising successful kids, um, and it's not just about wealth, as I've already explained. But at what point did you think either I haven't got any other choice to do something, or this is the only choice I, you know, this is the only choice I have, or actually I want to turn this into a business, or I want to be making success out of what I know is my passion. Okay, as I'm, as I'm saying to Raf, I think it's very important to get your academic qualifications because plenty of people succeed without them, but I think they just succeed despite their academic qualifications rather than because they haven't got any. So for me, I started my working life as a full-time teacher doing this, uh, doing the tennis and the, and the chess as kind of sideline things. And then in the holidays, I moved down from Telford to Yateley in Hampshire and bought 
uh, half the house for twice the money and I thought oh I'm gonna need to top my income up a little bit if I'm gonna be able to do a few nice things and go and travel and yeah. and get my tennis rackets restrung because I was breaking them left right and center all the time <laughs> with uh, with hitting lots of spin uh, so um, I started this business in the in the holidays and it just grew and I was in the end it was like having two full-time jobs for uh, for three years so after uh, eight years of full-time teaching I thought well I can give this a go and, and branch out um, so I started employing a couple of people um, then moved over to Maidstone because I didn't think I had the opportunities to grow um, there but we've been We've been growing fairly well ever since, and um, I think it's it's now a time to um, to really really blossom. I think we've we've got the um, the saplings. We're going to make them into big oak trees, hopefully. Okay. So, Raf, when you're coaching kids, what age group do you coach? So it varies, but mainly I'll coach between sort of six to ten year olds. And are you doing that on your own, or do you have somebody senior overseeing what you're doing? Well, it all started out with me assistant coaching and working with Julian and the other main coaches at the club. But slowly, as I got more confident and I got my qualifications, I started to do more work on my own with like smaller groups or perhaps taking private sessions with just one younger kid. I really felt I could help. And that's grown into where I am today. Getting my level two should lead to me being able to do my own sessions without any guidance or help necessary. So when you see somebody in your class, a youngster in your class, and you're watching them and you can see that they've got potential, obviously, that was spotted in you as well, um, what do you do then? How, how, how do you move forward with that? Well, the first step, I'd say, is making sure they're enjoying the sport because the thing that kept me going with tennis wasn't that I felt I was particularly good. It was that I loved playing it, it wins, losses, whatever. So when I can see a kid's particularly good, if I can make sure they're enjoying it as well, then that that's when I start to think, okay, they could go somewhere with this. Let's try getting them maybe doing a few more lessons a week or playing in a couple of competitions and seeing what happens. So obviously there's a cost involved to you teaching them and obviously Julian running his school, there's a cost involved. What happens when you have somebody who comes along say for a taster session and you can and might come along for another session but the longevity of them being able to attend isn't there because the finances aren't there but you you can see that there's potential what would you what would you do then and I'm gonna put it in the middle so that either of you can answer the irony is that um when Raf's parents split up um there was a time where he wasn't able to afford to do his full program so we kind of subsidised him to to do that, knowing that if I invested him, there was just a chance that he'd, um, that he'd come and work for me eventually. So I took that gamble and it paid off. So <laughs> I think we, we do that. We would, we'd go the extra mile for our players yeah. very much. Yeah. And um, Raph's at the, at the moment. Um, I mean, if we, we see somebody who's got potential, then we'll try and get them to to have some some extra lessons and, and get them into tournaments but really his job is just to get them onto the onto the court and enjoy it as well and you started with a, f- a few adults as well haven't you yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think what you said was very key when is that you loved it first and then once so that's your passion and then you it's much easier to turn your passion into something that you can start to make money from and i think that's important for whoever is listening to the podcast that it's about that making whatever your your passion is what's going to get you out of bed in the morning and make you think okay it's chucking it down with rain or it's cold or whatever it might be 
but I'm still going to go out there running, tennis course, whatever it might be. How do you encourage yourself to maintain your passion in tennis? Well, I think it comes because particularly at my age, I have lots of friends obviously taking on part-time jobs. And what I hear a lot of the time is I'll speak to them and they'll say, oh, I really can't be bothered to get up for work tomorrow. Oh, I can't be bothered to do this shift after school. And I couldn't find myself in a situation like that where if my job was something I didn't enjoy, I don't think I could do it. So the fact that I've got a passion for tennis is what makes me want to work because I don't see it as much as a job as I'm going to go out on a court, I'm going to play some tennis today. I'm going to be helping some kids do it too. It's not as much of a work as it is sort of doing something you enjoy. And yeah, there's money involved, obviously, but it's not a job where I sit there, I do the same thing over and over again. I'm constantly thinking, I'm on my feet, I'm being hands-on. So it's just fun, really. Yeah. And I think, that's, I think that's a fantastic attitude to have. And obviously that's what's going to maintain your success in any area of life if you can show that passion um you wait till i go have to give them the accounts to do tomorrow <laughs> no no that sort of stuff i've i've got to do as well and the running of the business to me is not why i do it i mean you know it makes it makes me a living and um um and everything but i've got a deep passion for it yeah so that's what main that's what obviously kept you going as you're getting older and kept you deciding right that I'm still going to do this even though I'm busy doing teaching or whatever it was it was that passion yeah, well, to get you out of bed in the morning in 2002 I gave up the full-time teaching job I still did a bit of supply and uh, and a few other things but uh, this then became my my main job and the, and the hardest thing was actually getting enough work especially during the daytimes getting into the school securing the contracts and chasing payments and everything else how did you motivate yourself to do that because I think that's wherever you're starting a business whether you're an adult or whether you're a teenager whoever it is that's starting a business I think to continue that momentum is actually quite hard and your challenges become your biggest successes as it were but you you can only sometimes see that with hindsight so how did you keep kicking yourself out of the door so that you could have your business running I just really, really wanted to make it work. And, and the first year where I thought the, the the school where I was was going to take me on and do a, a lot more, they kind of said, oh, well, you know, you can do this a like, couple of days a week. And I was expecting them to do like three or four days a week. And, um, and it was tougher than I expected. But I was very determined to, to make it succeed. And it took about nine months to really be able to build up any sort of an income. But because um, I finished my teaching job in July... So it was round until the next Easter when I was doing a lot of preparation work and not seeing a lot coming in. Yeah. And then the summer, that first summer, uh, full summer had went really well. And then we got a lot of people sign up until Christmas from there. We managed to get enough keen people then to keep going all year round. And then I had my student coaches in the summer and, and, and other people as well. And, and that was good. Um, and then the only problem was then uh, they built a very big indoor centre right near to where I was and we lost a lot of clients from there that's why I moved to to Maidstone and um, but generally it's 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 kind of growing there and you know we've we have lost a lot of very good players to better facilities but um, they have generally stayed in in tennis a lot of them have generally stayed in tennis and so where you've lost people 
where you've lost people to move on and they've they've you they've know stayed the they've stayed in the game Most but not me, necessarily stayed with you thing. sure what plans have you put in place to maintain your longevity just of running your own business and 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 having that success not necessarily wealth success but having that success of continuing business I think we've got a very good business module and a, and a very good way of of coaching um which everybody's kind of picking up and We've got a new Hungarian head coach as well who coaches in a similar way to us and, and he's a real real expert as well. So he'll help he'll help train everybody. Um, we would like to try and get a cafe and um, some changing rooms and improve the facilities as well um, to make it a little bit more of a, of a family atmosphere. But I think if we, we do what we always do, we'll get what we've always got, which is, which is good players who've, who've stuck in the game. So And to me, I think a successful player isn't just but isn't just based on their results it's based on whether they have a good experience whether they enjoy the game and whether they they can then communicate their love of the game to the next generation of, of players so i have a friend who's a tennis coach my brother-in-law is also a tennis coach but i have a friend who's a tennis coach and she's a PE teacher in inverted commas at a private school but really they all they want her to do is do tennis and she loves the fact that she can just play tennis all day every day um and she's you know well into her 50s as well so and she started similarly to you when she was small and it's just been something she's played competitively but it's not been something that you know she's not seen the courts of Wimbledon and played on them but that's not what it's about for her um is that similar to you Raph? Yeah I mean although I am still competing occasionally because it's what I enjoy doing I've come to the point where I realise I may not hit the courts of Wimbledon but that's no longer what it's been about anymore I know I'm still enjoying playing and winning so although I may not make a career out of being a tennis player it's become something I still want to do despite that so as long as I can play and I can play to a high level that I'm happy with I'm not worried about not being able to perhaps take it to the next level so um, the level two that you're going towards, um, that you're working towards, that will enable you to take smaller groups, be more of a standalone coach. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So despite I perhaps feel I may already have the skills for it, it's just about getting the next level of qualification so I can have more independence. Yes, and Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is the same with a lot of things, sure. but... Yeah, it's just about getting the qualification so it's written down, so I guess. Can see, yeah. You can say what you can mm. say. You actually do yeah. what you can say you can do. I've got to say, I'm not sure even I've told him this, but actually his tutor phoned me up and said he's one of the best 16-year-olds we've ever had on a level one course. Mm. So um, mm. that was that How was. How does just that make you fantastic. feel when you hear that? I think it just sort of gives me a bit more confidence because although I've loved coaching and I feel confident when I coach, when you get told things like that, it obviously just gives you a boost and makes you know what you're doing is good. Do the school support you in any way? Yeah, so my school, despite not being a heavily tennis school, it's quite traditional with rugby and a bit of football. The PE teachers that I've spoken to and have found out a bit more about my tennis have given me support. And I'm sure we may mention this later, we've run a couple of things at my school for tennis and I've always been heavily involved there and the school's been very lenient with letting me help out with things, which is good. 
I know because um, my son goes to the same school and I didn't realise that until I met Raf. Um, but they run a summer thing where they, they take them off timetable and they do lots of different activities. And I know last year my son tried to get into the tennis that they did for a week and it was oversubscribed um, and he's desperate to get onto it this year as well. So I'm not expecting a shoe-in or anything. It's been, but it's been fully booked three, three years in a row, which yeah. is which is fantastic. Yeah. And I've um, been, been, been voted the uh, tennis and chess, been voted up there as the best and most popular activities. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think about um, exercise and young people and all that kind of, you know, there's a lot about it in the media. Yeah. So what's your take on all of that? I think sort of as technologies increase kids have become a bit more indoorish and lazy which is a shame but I think it's things like this getting sport into schools and giving kids a passion from a young age which is what's going to help people stay fit like if you can make a kid want to be outside and running about instead of wanting to be inside playing on a console that's where everyone's going to be a lot happier and healthier it's about balance, isn't it? Yeah. Maintaining a balance. So it's, there's no problem with them spending time on a console as long as that's not all that they do. Yeah. And yeah, so I know people like, you may not have heard of him, Daley Thompson, who was well-known um, Olympic decathlon. He, he has this phrase that he knew he was always going to succeed because he spent every single day doing what he did in competition. So he knew he was going to succeed. And it's similar to what you're doing, isn't it? That you know that you're going to succeed in whatever you're doing because that is your passion. That's what's driving you. And you just want to make better yourself so that you can be better for the kids that you're, that you're teaching or that you're interacting with. Okay, so you, I know that you also do chess as well so tennis and chess don't really in my mind sit very well together but they obviously do because you're oh, they they they, re- they say do because um really when you're when you're on a on a tennis court you're making decisions about where you hit the ball and that's kind of like speed chess you have to make very quick decisions and and you know go with your um with your instincts and then you have a change of ends and you think you can put a bit more time to analyze or if you have a rain delay or or anything there and tennis is a very when you play the good levels very tactical game you have to think about what spin you put on on your shots and and how you're how you're going to play to maximize your strengths and your opponent's weaknesses how many shots in advance this is just me asking now how many shots in advance do you think so do you have you obviously have a game plan how you want the game to go but then your opponent's got their own game plan of how they want the game to go so how do you how many of shots in advance are you thinking as you're watching their game plan play out although you have a general game structure at the start of each point you'll know what you want to do but there's no you can't predict what your opponent's going to do so although you might say you want to hit it there and then come up to the net and do this it's always about thinking on your feet at the same time so there's going to be a point structure. I, I know what I want to happen, but at the same time, you've got to be prepared to make last-minute changes and adapt to win. Do you use that pivot mentality in other areas of your life as well? 
it can apply to other things as well. It can apply to coaching even because you never know at last minute if you're not going to have the equipment or if a kid's not going to turn up or someone's going to trip over. So you know what you want to do in a session, but there's always things that change last minute that make that force you to think on your feet. And that's where I think chess ties in because you want to be thinking moves ahead, but something unexpected could always happen and you've got to be prepared for that. Did an assembly presentation on um, on chess. It was mainly on chess, but it can apply to the tennis as well. And driving, um, trying to draw some parallels there. So you plan your route out, but then you might have to take a different turn. You might have to take a different turning, and you just can't afford to make a mistake at any point because if you crash, that's your uh, that's your that's your game over with with chess in particular. But with tennis, you know, you can. There's always the next point, so you can kind of reset yourself between points if you've won it. You don't want to be too high and um, you want to keep level head. And if you've lost it, you don't want to get too down on yourself as as well. So I think it's good. It's good mental training for uh, for tennis. But um, I'm just very interested in that sort of like I said that pivot mentality so where you're seeing how how it's playing out and it's obviously very fast um, to me as somebody sitting watching Wimbledon or Eastbourne or whatever it's phenomenally fast and I'm just intrigued how you think on your feet that quickly and that when you've done that how you can then take that mentality and use it in other areas of your life um, which you've obviously done, Julian, because of how you've pivoted in what you're doing. Yeah, um, with, the business, with the business, I've taken my teaching, my classroom teaching skills onto a tennis court, now back into a classroom to yeah. do that. You've got, so with, with chess as well, we use a lot of computers and things as well. And I, I, I was brought up in an age where you just didn't have computers at all. They were just these newfangled things you might use for, for something. But now, of course, everybody has to use them. So... I've had to then learn the computer skills to be able to do my my job my job effectively. Do you find in your outside of your tennis life that those skills that that, that pivoting that being able to think so quickly has have you been able to use that in other areas? And if so, do, can you relate to success that you might have experienced? Yeah, even so, at school nowadays, with sort of more and more exams coming my way with A-levels this year, it applies a lot to, in an exam, thinking on your feet, because as much as you prepare for something or as much work you do, there's going to always be a question that's got that wording you don't quite understand or the topic you forgot to revise. (laughs) And that's where it comes down to you've got to use what you know, but at the same time, you've got to think on your feet and adapt and see what you can put down to form a proper answer and just do your best can you remember a time when you weren't like that or do you think having been part of this coaching system and being being privileged to have been exposed to that way of thinking do you think that's what's trained your brain or do you do your brothers experience the same as well I think it has helped quite a lot. Obviously, from playing tennis from a young age, I've developed all these skills and the same with coaching from a young age. My brothers, they they played tennis for a couple of months when they were younger, but they were more football people. Mm. But you, yeah, you can see the differences in someone maybe a little bit more focused and switched on because of they've, the skills they've learned through tennis or a sport compared to those that are less, well, have not reacted as well to situations because they're not ready to think on their feet or adapt so I can say yeah tennis has helped me a lot in that sense 
I think tennis being a, a team game and an individual game as well. Yeah, because normally you just think about it as an individual sport. Um, but Yeah, but it is a team. Yeah, it can be a team sport because it's not just you or, you know, it's not just you on the court, is it? It's, the, it's your backroom staff as well that are all part of what's driving your success. Because people think, you know, people like Andy Murray or Djokovic think, well, that's just him. But it isn't just him. Is it? It's all the people behind. And what sort of mental yeah. preparation do you have well, when going into match or a competition, it's always about you do as much as you can. Like I say, with a test, you prepare and you get ready for it. But when you walk out there, my main thing is just being confident. If I put my head down for a second, I know that's it. I've lost. Yeah. So as long as I even I could be five love down in a set. As long as I keep my head up and I got the mentality that I can still come back from this and I can still win, I never fully give up or lose. So, And how do you go about teaching mindset to your students, Julian? Because that's obviously played a great part in how Raf, you know, is incredibly confident and how he's talking and how he's just being for, for a relatively young teenager but um so that's obviously come as well from partly what from what you're doing a lot of a lot of people have it have it naturally as well and it it could be a confidence thing it could be a concentration thing we have something called the 16 second cure in uh, in so after you've finished a a point Mm. what you should do first of all have a positive physical response which is like just pump the air or not you know you see a lot of kids going if they miss a shot and I always said, well, that means you've got the other person. So just never give away if you're feeling down and always you can gain confidence from your opponent if you can see that you've, uh, you've kind of got them. Okay. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing, you've got the positive physical response. And then the, thing, the next thing will be to, to relax and switch off where you see players looking at their strings and fiddling with their strings. That's not because their strings have moved or anything particularly. Um, it's because they are just taking their mind off the last point okay. and then resetting them. Some people say, all oh, these tennis players, they take a long time in between mm. points and they're wasting lots of time. They're bouncing the ball a lot. But yeah. while they're doing that, they're pre- mentally preparing themselves for the next point. Okay. And, and they're already thinking, okay, I'm going to serve to the backhand here. Then I'm going to try and take them out wide on the forehand and we're hitting to the backhand corner come to the net and finish it off you're letting so, all the secrets out now yeah <laughs> well <laughs> that's um so that's something that you teach to them that's what we would do and try and get them into that okay. into that mentality and that helps create heavy you know that helps create level-headed yeah young young people yeah skill mm. um it's transferable skill yeah, yeah into into whatever it is they're mm-hmm. doing whether that's Standing up in school, or going for a job, or standing having a university um, interview, interview, whatever yeah. it might be, mm-hmm. to have those skills of how to deal with a situation and being out, having the confidence to be able to do it. Yeah, um, so that's you it. Teach everyone's, that. everyone's going to make some mistakes, and yeah. you, know, you can miss an easy shot, mm. and um, just not be able to um, not, not be able to deal with that well, and particularly very very successful people find it very hard to deal with their own shortcomings mm. um, but we can we can we can see it and we can see a lot of some of them just got it very naturally yeah um, but you can see the improvement in, in others as well yeah so do you think having said all that do you think mindset is something that you can 
teach from somebody who doesn't have a particularly good mindset? Can you teach them how to have a pos- more positive mindset? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. I mean, you know, you can you can just you can just tell them the uh, the negative behaviour isn't isn't going to help them, and you know, just to to bring that round. And some people are just more naturally adapt more naturally to it and some people that takes lots of time and experience and and uh and nurturing to to get them to get them where they are but do you do that on a regular basis for yourself as well i should probably look after myself a little bit more than than (laughs) i than i do and uh, i'm quite hard on myself if i can't get anywhere with something and i i get frustrated and maybe i should uh Maybe I should, you know, give myself a little bit more, uh, more time, and be good to myself. But I'm, a, I'm a hopeless workaholic in in many ways, and um, um, I, do, I see it with my mum sometimes. She panics over absolutely nothing, and sort of trying to trying to get her to um, to deal with her, her own shortcomings and, and not get down on herself that she's forgotten something. I and mean, she's she's 84, and if I if I remember where I live at 84, I'd be quite happy sometimes. <laughs> So do you think it's a good thing to be such a perfectionist when you're running your own business? It is because I'm all, I'm always striving to to do something better but um I had a quite a serious illness last year as well so I think it's important to to look after yourself and I think when you when you're ambitious and and, and want to you know you're desperate to to make the best of your business you can neglect your own health and well-being and that's something I should I should do more. That's my New Year's resolution. Then. Perfect. <laughs> so where do you see your future, Raf? What do you see? Because obviously you're doing um, A-levels, which for those of you who are not UK-based um, are exams that you take when you're 16, 17 years of age and they're kind of your final year exams for school. Then you can go on and go to university or whatever from there. Um, so it's the, kind of the end of your formal education here. Um, so once you've finished your A-levels, you know, what, where does the future lie for Rafferty? Well, at the minute I'm looking, I've made all my applications. So university does look like the main choice for me. I'm most likely going to take a gap year at this moment. So take a year out, which will obviously involve a lot of coaching and things. But at the same time, it'll take a bit of time for me. So I might go traveling, things like that. But afterwards, university is what I'm looking to do because I feel like that's the next step in just advancing myself and again it's all about gaining more skills and just getting better at what I want to do yeah it's opportunities as well because you never know who you're going to meet there um it's not necessarily about the um qualifications that you're going to get at the end of it it's 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 all I think more about the opportunities people that you're going to come in contact with um and how you can advance yourself so what do you see at this time in five to ten years time have you got that kind of plan of where you're going to be so I've got the gradual outline of I know I want to go to university and get my degree I want to keep challenging myself and going obviously I want to keep tennis going as a big part of my life because it's something that means a lot to me and I enjoy it but after university currently I don't have specifics of I know I want to do this but I feel like I shouldn't I want to leave myself open to opportunity because if you have every step planned out then I feel like you're going to miss so many things that come past you but you're too focused on one thing already yeah that's not a bad thing because you know you, you can learn to be too blinkered I think yeah. so otherwise like you said you're going to miss the opportunities that are coming if you're open to the opportunities then you never know 
what where you're going to lead yourself. So I can imagine ten years time you having a couple of kids and getting them out on the court and and uh, mm-hmm. and and working with even if that's kind of the only you maybe play a little bit and do a little bit of coaching with you with your own kids. I can't imagine Raf not having not having tennis and his and his life. I've got a a thirty one year old chess player now. He's got three children of his own. He still plays and he's teaching he's teaching them to play. I went to, mm-hmm. to see him just a couple of couple of days ago and that's up in uh, up in Telford so uh, it's just fantastic to see that you've influenced someone's life to that extent and, and it's they, quite a privilege they, really isn't it yeah no it's 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 just it's better than better than any paycheck and you know if uh, Ruff wants to become my tennis business manager if we can grow the company enough enough there and uh, I've got a few plans myself to to do something possibly involving involving indoor and, and other sports and can you expand on that a bit are you allowed to um i don't want to say too much yet because i don't want anyone copying my idea no. but um but the plans are big for the future i would like to take this a lot further i've got a great team of people around me who can help me help me build this and um really really create something and and share my uh, share my passion and if they've got the they've got the skills that i i lack and all the admin stuff that i uh, mm. i i don't like doing particularly and um they can all they can all help me i think make the make it possible and what do you think because in the uk like i said before it's seen more as an elitist sport um it's you know quite um specific as to who can tap into playing tennis and then who succeeds on from that and obviously there are issues with the LTA and you know we you hear about it on the news when Wimbledon comes round or Eastbourne comes round why we why we can't produce successful tennis players so how do you think you know your vision for your future and how you see your business growing how can you combat something like that well I think we have um, I think we have produced a a Wimbledon champion from a Fairly small town in in Scotland, and we've we've got a couple of, of players. I mean, Carl Edmonds beaten um, Novak Djokovic in in twenty eighteen. So there are signs that you know, we we can we can produce players. I mean, we do a lot of sports in in this country, um, and um, yeah, it is cheaper to to play football. And you know, we've got the Premier League in this country, and and everybody's interested in in football. I was at a match myself yesterday, and I, I, lo- I love football. But um, it's it'd be nice, to, you know, if, if a few more children did did play tennis. But the LTA have got a great initiative, to be fair, with the tennis for kids, where they get a free racket and the t-shirt. And Raf's helped me with a few of those as well, and they get six lessons for twenty five pounds. That'll be coming around again this year so then that kind of gets them into it but unfortunately it is a it is a sport where if you do progress you will need shoes you'll need clothing you'll need to travel you'll need you'll need rackets and and strings and 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 various things like that but I mean, it's not as expensive as some sports as like like golf and yeah we do very well on a, on a worldwide scale but it is one of the most truly worldwide sports as well so um I think it's just getting that idea across, isn't it? That if you have a passion for it, whatever it might be, whether it's swimming or basketball or whatever it is, there's always a cost involved if you're going to take it to the next level. Um, and if you're not prepared, to, if you want your passion to succeed, you're going to find the, the money. Yeah, football's a sport that is quite cheap to play. A lot of people play it. You see it on TV a lot. Everyone knows how to play it. And there's a lot of um, opportunities 
in place to um, um, to compete fairly quickly. And yeah. I think we're never going to make tennis bigger than football. But mm. saying France is the second most, France or Spain is the second most popular sport. And yeah. Um, I, I, what I'd like to see is is some foreign players actually coming here to train though, because Murray's done a lot of his more advanced training from the age of 14 onwards in Spain yeah. I would like to see foreign people coming here to tap into the resources and, and coaching that we've we've got in the, yeah. in the UK and creating world class players not because they've gone abroad but creating world class players who've stayed in well, that, in I think that's what helped the Premier League apart from the, I mean that's what brought the money in when they started bringing the foreign players in to play over here and the coaches then mm. the money came as a result of that so yeah. that might be and the TV rights and things with, with, with Sky as well have, have helped but um, yeah. you know we got to the World Cup semi-final so it's, it's actually helped the the England team develop and I think mm. learn from these rather than seeing it as a negative that oh it's got these foreign players and mm. um, I think it's it's great that we have we've got a lot of foreign coaches, including one of our one of our set tennis coaches uh, at the moment as well. It's it's good to look at some different points of view and uh, and, and tap in there. And uh, I'm not gonna not gonna go into the the, uh, the ins and outs of Brexit, but I, I like the idea that we've got different um, different you, influences in our coaching. Do you think that might um, change your business plan and vision for the future, either of you? Because no, none of us know what's going to happen as as far as Brexit is concerned, but have you kind of got a strategy in place? (laughs) Well, I mean, as coaching is currently a part-time thing for me, it doesn't influence me as much, I guess, but I can see how there may be changes or things, but like you said, no one knows what's going to happen at the minute. So you couldn't place a solid bet on how it's going to affect tennis or sports in general. But yeah, we'd like, with tennis being a less popular sport I think it'd be great to have more foreign players advancing in the UK making it more of a global thing in general as a languages and qualified TEFL teacher as well I think because the state speaks English I think one thing when we're still going to be able to export is our English teaching and people will want to come from Europe and the rest of the world to learn English yeah. now whether that is learning learning tennis as, um, as well and coming over here and seeing Wimbledon and, and learning and learning how to play tennis over here I think that's something that will be good and, and so with my, my chess business as well we could actually export that worldwide yeah. do lessons on Skype and have um, yeah um, have, have games between them, um, have um, matches between schools in, in this country and, and other countries. And, um, I find it interesting that you run a business that is, to my mind, an extrovert business where you're out in the crowds, where you're out and people are watching you. So you can't really, I don't think, be an introvert if you're playing a sport like that. And then you run another business that has a perception of being just for introverts um and not a not kind of extrovert ish that's when i want to really really change with with chess and make it a game for everybody not just for children who who don't play sports i think it helps with the with the sport and i really i'd like to get the mass appeal of of uh, of chess um over to uh, to lots of people because we've the schools that we've done, we've got a diverse range of children who are not particularly always the, the brightest, yeah. but they really enjoy the challenges of chess. I mean, I was never 
a high high flying academic myself, but chess was something I could do as well as everyone else at my school who went to Oxford or Cambridge. I was the only only person in the the chess team at school who, who didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge, and I yeah. thought that's actually something I can compete with on yeah. on their level. Yeah, never understood how. I don't really. I mean, I'm more of a linguist and and a words person rather than numbers and mm. and and maths but it was just something I could do and mm. that gave me a lot of academic confidence to mm. to do what I could could do as well and I've always been quite a thinking tactical mm. tennis player mm. too I think, I think it's be. you know when you start thinking strategy that's obviously you know you've got a strategy for running your business you've had a strategy yeah. for putting whatever it is in mm. place all that time the same as you Raf you've got this strategy that you're putting in place in other areas of your life not just in coaching so it's obviously using those skills those transferable skills that you've already spoken about just in different areas and and exposing kids who haven't who think that they can't do this well yes you can because that that is a good skill that you're learning it's just seeing it in a bigger picture isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, so I've really enjoyed talking to both of you. I'm extremely impressed at how confident <laughs> this young man is. Um, this is the first media thing you've done, actually, as well. <laughs> so, you know, listen, listen. What's your name again? Cause Rafty pe- Wilson. Rafty Wilson. Yeah, because people need to listen, need to remember that name because that's a name you're going to hear probably in 10, 20 years' time as somebody who's out there. So I feel very privileged to have been to be sitting in front of you. Um, so the podcast is called Raising Successful Kids. I'm going to ask you what Raising Successful Kids means to you, and I'm going to ask Julian. I think success shouldn't be purely measured in terms of results and and how well you do at school or how much money you earn. I think it should be a lot about how happy you are as a person, what you bring to other people, and... Um, um, that's my my definition of a, a successful person. I think who's, who's happy and and also you know, makes makes other people happy. Um, yeah, it just shouldn't be purely seen monetary or no. trophies or, or achievements. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Rafferty. I do agree. So it's not necessarily always about walking away with the win, but if I or the kids I coach, if they come out of a situation where they're happy, they know they've put all they can into something and tried their hardest they've done their best to me that's being successful not giving up on themselves or giving up on a situation until you know you've done everything you can I think that sums it up perfectly actually Um, so thank you very much for giving up your time today and coming out and recording the podcast how can people find you on social media Okay, we have uh, a Learn Chess and Southeastern Tennis Facebook pages, and we have the websites that's www.se-tennis.co.uk or www.learnchess.co.uk. Okay, and Raf? Well, so all my information about the tennis club will be on through there, and anything else, I'm just Rafferty Wilson out there. Okay, so you're on all the social media platforms. Yeah. If you're not, you ought to be, but you are. <laughs> okay, so thank you ever so much for recording today and again I've been very impressed and thank you for giving up the time Um, I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to the podcast let me know what you thought about it as I said it's slightly different from what we've recorded before Um, leave a comment either on the Facebook page on the Instagram page or on my LinkedIn profile let me know if you want to hear more about a similar thing in the future be really interested to hear what people have to think so thank you very much for listening and remember to keep raising our kids to think and be successful